Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White and today myself and Simon discussed the news that the European Court of Justice has ruled that FIFA and UEFA acted illegally in blocking the launch of the European Super League. So, is the Super League now on its way back and in what guise? Who will be going along with it? As Jurgen Klopp goes on a call to arms to the Liverpool crowd, is the famous Anfield atmosphere really going flat? Does it highlight his concern about Arsenal? And we talk boxing with two days to go from the Day of Reckoning. Carl Frost joins us live in studio. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Simon, now we know, and I have to tip my hat to you and say you were right all along. The European Court of Justice has ruled this very morning in the last hour that FIFA and UEFA acted illegally in blocking the launch of the European Super League back in 2021. You might remember the morning that Simon and I were on with Danny Murphy and what is going on? The big six are joining the Super League. Oh my goodness, it, it caused absolute waves of controversy back then it uh, didn't come about because the fans railed against it and you told us at the time Simon not so fast there's a lot to go in this yet and you're absolutely right now lots of questions come out of this um, is the Super League now on its way back and if it is in what guys who is going to go along with it the the thing is, the, the ruling now opens the door to the Super League being relaunched in the knowledge that there'll be no punishments coming the way for clubs or for players who compete in it. Simon, what is your take? You did say, I told you so, and now this is what's happened. Yeah, I mean, I think with due respect to the football process, I think most of the grown-ups in the room knew that this was going to be an outcome that was going to be put back into play because when you get out of football, out of the banana republic of football governance, and you move into the legal system, and you look at anti-competition and monopoly, you are always going to find yourself in a situation where governing bodies that are monopolising the commercial revenue streams surrounding European football and world football were going to be challenged legally. 
And so it has proven. No one's had the chutzpah to do it previously. No one's had the wherewithal. Football's on a different journey. And I really don't understand what all the furore's about. Because put aside the initial reaction of the lack of meritocracy. Because that was the only issue on the table. All the hysteria, all the hyperbole, all of the, you know, the call to action for the fans to get involved was really and truly only about one, about one thing and should have only ever been about one thing. The lack of meritocracy, yeah. the lack of ability to get in there based upon your competitive achievements rather than who you've been in the past. So that was removed. Once that was removed, where's the hysteria? No one knows what this European Super League consists of, what it means. No one knows that it prejudices the domestic landscape any more than the creation of the Premier League prejudiced the English football pyramid. Yeah, It becomes another competition. And anybody that seems to sit there thinking that they would prefer to have FIFA and UEFA having having complete and utter control over everything to do with European football must be deranged. But is there room for another competition? I mean, are we really going to see the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool playing in the Champions League and in a European Super League? Or do you? why do you assume that there'll be a Champions League? Why do you not assume that this might be a completely different competition or people opt out of the Champions League? Well, they just revamped which, it. Which, well, precisely. So have a look at that then. Have a look at what's going on with UEFA and the fact that this Champions League, which, by the way, is a contradiction in terms because 95% of the teams in the Champions League are not actually champions. It's a league created based upon elitism, based upon commercial revenues. So it exists. It already exists. All of everybody's worst nightmares, apparently, already exist. And what you've now got is that the opportunity for somebody to come along, create an alternate format and say... Well, why do you want to be with UEFA? Why do you want to be governed by UEFA? Isn't it an alternate opportunity to look at things in a different way? And what are the commercial benefits for everybody? Because one of the things that this group, who I do think are a little bit ragtag and bobtail, this A22, but notwithstanding it, they've got themselves in a position where they've created a landscape for people to be able to sit around a table and hatch the most fiendish of plans to be able to come back with a scenario which ticks all the boxes, which includes solidarity payments, protecting and preserving of the ultimate pyramids that are inside football clubs, sorry, inside leagues around the world. So all of this hysteria, I was, mm. you know, all of this, oh, hang on a second, they're going to break away from the Premier League. The rules, well, the rules were changed by the Premier League at the request of the member clubs of the Premier League. Reconvene the Premier League, they'll change the rules. Well, Simon, it, it certainly looks from distance like this is one in the eye for FIFA and UEFA. Of that, there is no well, of course doubt. It is. Alex Crook, our colleague, is on the line this morning because I think, Alex, you've already got UEFA reaction. Yeah, good morning, guys. What a morning it's been already. Uh, UEFA pretty quick to get their statement out following that uh, verdict by the European Court of Justice. They say they take note of the judgment that has been delivered in Luxembourg, but they go on to say this ruling does not signify an endorsement or validation of the so-called Super League. It rather underscores a pre-existing shortfall within UEFA's pre-authorisation framework, a technical aspect that has already, they say, been acknowledged and addressed in June 2022. That's when they uh, redrafted the rules for uh, clubs competing uh, in UEFA competition. They say they're confident in the robustness of their new rules and specifically they comply with all relevant European laws and regulations. They say UEFA, they remain resolute in its commitment to uphold the European football pyramid, ensuring it continues to serve the broader interests of society. We will continue, UEFA say, 
to shape the European sports model collectively with national associations, leagues, clubs, fans, players, coaches, EU institutions, governments and partners alike. And they've called upon the uh, solidarity-based European football pyramid fans and stakeholders to declare as their irreplaceable model will be safeguarded against the threat of breakaways by European and national laws. So there's a lot of jargon there, but basically UEFA are coming out and saying that their reform does now meet EU regulations uh, and they're confident um, that they've safeguarded against uh, the European Super League being resuscitated. I'm not entirely convinced by that, but I've got a question for Simon. Is this not, Simon, uh, just other big European leagues and clubs like Barcelona and Real Madrid, is this not just a jealousy against what the Premier League has become? Are they not just trying to create a divide between the Premier League and the rest of European football because they want a piece of that pie? I think there's. I don't think it's about jealousy. I think it's about the commercial reality of the Premier League having created such a powerful pathway and knowing that there is even bigger prizes to be had. So with that in mind, they look at the commercial opportunities of what's next and where can it be taken to next. Um, you know, we sit there and I, I'm perplexed by people's reaction to this, that in some shape or form, that UEFA should be judge, jury and executioner of how competition is determined, what it looks like and what the landscape should well, be. Well, someone's got to govern the game. To an extent. And, that, and, who, and, and who holds them to account? And who provides competition? And who determines whether they are doing things in the right way? We've seen historically, and it shouldn't be forever the case that we lambast people for the deeds of others, but we have seen historically the behaviour of some of these organisations. I would say, in every walk of life, competition is something that's good. Competition mm -hmm. that creates an opportunity for everything to evolve uh, is a good thing. Competition, yes, Simon, I get that. But you've got to have some order. Of course you have. And I'm not suggesting it should be the Wild West. Football is already the Wild West. Football is already a cavalier, you know, kangaroo court of, t of things. And the reasons why this has been taken out of football's hands, like I said earlier on, I'm sorry that this sounds rather sweeping and, and pompous judgment. It is a banana republic. When you drag football people and football institutions out of the confines of their own self-serving nonsense and put them into the real world, more often than not, people find themselves being consequenced by the laws of the land rather than the banana republics that adjudicate football authorities. I get that, Simon, but this changes everything because... Because, you it know, doesn't. Any it other nothing. Any other organisation now can now come into play and say, right, what about the clubs in the lower half of the Premier League? We're going to start a competition. Any, You're any, going to be in it. Any, come and join no, us. No, 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 no. Any organisation, realistically speaking, can put forward the construction of an idea um, that could be floated, mooted and discussed in reasonable, rational, fair and open-minded and transparent terms rather than be governed by the fact that if you dare step out of the confines of the governance of UEFA or FIFA. And if you dare want to expand uh, the opportunities within the confines of football, that might be for the advancement of football, you cannot do that because UEFA will only determine what you can and can't do. So UEFA are not going to determine that someone else's idea is better because that's a turkey voting for Christmas. They're not going to turn around and suggest that someone else should pick up the mantle and run with the ball, metaphorically speaking, because it doesn't serve their purposes. And if you look at the ideas that, that may well float around, yes, the first representation of it was a poorly packaged, stupid, badly presented scenario. But the only issue behind it, and everyone loses their minds over this, you take away the meritocracy argument. You take away the self-serving bit of the legacy football clubs being in there, protected, not in there on merit, but only be in there because of what they've done in the past. You remove that caveat, which, by the way, 
does have to be there because the financing of the Premier League, the reasons why the Premier League is getting 10 billion quid is not because of bloody Burnley, Crystal Palace, Sheffield United and anyone else. It's because of Liverpool, Man United and Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City and whoever else well, we can precisely, think of. But this makes the, the richer clubs even richer. No, it has to be caveated based. Well, the, the best get the best. Of course it will. Well, hang on. The best get the best already. So by definition, the best, now what, the, what you're looking at is the drag and tag effect. What happens to everybody else? So if the rich get richer, what happens to everybody else? Well, they get left behind. Well, not necessarily, because ultimately, in order for football clubs to want to be able to play fairly with collective responsibility and for, for, and for the overall governance of football, to some extent, to have meaning, rhyme and reason behind it, there has to be something in it for everybody. There was something in it 20, 30 years ago for the Football League when they were offered 25% of the broadcast revenues from the Premier League. And because they were so bloody stupid, they turned it down. And now they're sat there with 9%. Because the, now, here we are, 30 years on, with football maturing, the world seeing football as a huge business opportunity for everybody. Globalisation comes to fore. Why, in God's name, would you want it to be confined to one organisation? The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. We told you right from the, the, the get-go this morning at 10 o'clock that the European Court of Justice had ruled that FIFA and UEFA acted illegally in blocking the launch of the European Super League back in 2021. So the Super League, it would seem, is now free to come back. Is it going to do that? You better believe it's going to do that. The company behind it and the company behind the Super League proposal is A22. And at an ongoing news conference... This morning, they've taken full opportunity to outline what they would propose. So sit back. Here's a minute of what they're going to propose. A22 wants to create the world's most exciting club football competition. Our proposal aims to ensure competitive tension throughout the year. It's an open system featuring promotion and relegation and two stages, a league stage and a knockout stage. The European Men's Super League will have 64 participating clubs, divided into three leagues, Star, Gold and Blue. The Star League consists of 16 clubs divided into two groups of eight. It's the same for the Gold League, 16 clubs, two groups of eight. The Blue League will have 32 clubs split into four groups of eight. During the league stage, clubs play each other within their groups, home and away. That's 14 matches per club each season, seven at home, seven away. The top four clubs in each group of the Star and Gold Leagues and the top two clubs in each group of the Blue League will qualify for the knockout round starting with the quarter-final. The quarter and semi-final consist of a two-legged knockout round, home and away. The final will be played on neutral ground. The knockout round finals winners will be the Blue League, Gold League and Star League champions. Mm-hmm. She's not the woman that announces flight departures at the airport. <laughs> um, so we've got three different leagues. Alex Crook, uh, my colleague here at TalkSport, has been across it. Uh, Alex, I'm not sure about the presentation, not sure about the pitch, but does it tell us a lot more? It tells us a bit more, I would say. Yeah, it certainly adds some meat to the bone. Uh, Bernd Reichart, who is chief executive of A22 Sports, of the promoters for this uh, supposed new Super League, uh, he also spoke during the presentation. that Their big selling point here, and this is something Simon's been talking about for a while, 
uh, would be they would launch their own streaming platform with a, a news service based around the Super League. But also all of the matches, they say, will be free to air on that streaming platform. So no more subscription fees. Uh, Bernd Reichardt was saying that football has become too expensive uh, for a lot of supporters. He's pricing out younger fans in particular. And he also suggested that the current European model uh, sees too many inconsequential matches and therefore that's also turning supporters away. And actually, uh, people don't really get involved in watching the Champions League, the Europa League and so forth until it gets deep into the knockout stages. So certainly that's an avenue they're looking to attack. Uh, as you heard there, there'd be 64 clubs initially split into three different leagues, 14 league games, seven home, seven away before the knockout round. Uh, they say the format is compliant with domestic leagues, so therefore wouldn't get in the way uh, of the Premier League calendar, for example. And... The big issue that we had, I think, with the initial Super League proposal was the lack of sporting meritocracy. They've addressed that this time around. They say 20 clubs will be relegated from the league each season, therefore 20 clubs newly promoted. There'll also be relegation between the three divisions and there'll be a separate Women's Super League. And we are hearing uh, some of the clubs that have allegedly already signed up for this new Super League, the likes of PSV Eindhoven and Feyenoord over in the Netherlands, Benfica and Porto in Portugal. The Italian clubs, who of course, were at the forefront of the original Super League proposal. And then the likes of Anderlecht over in Belgium as well. So no mention of Premier League teams amongst uh, that cluster of clubs. And we've also had a statement from the Football Supporters uh, Association, their chief executive, Kevin Miles, uh, says that supporters, players and clubs have already made clear they don't want a stitched up competition. We all want to see the trigger pulled on the walking dead monstrosity that is the European Super League. So strong words from the FSA, but we are finding out more details about what a, a new European Super League could look like. Alex, thank you very much indeed. I mean, Simon, you I mean, how ignorant is that? I mean, really, how ignorant is that? You really would what, want the to fan, find... the fans' organisation. Yeah, of course it is. One-dimensional thinking. Don't. So you've decided that the only competitions that should be determined are the ones that UEFA have determined with their brand of ownership and their brand of running it, with coefficients that get clubs into tournaments, into competitions because of what they did in the past. I think it's the fans saying we're happy with what we've got. Well, <laughs> I think it's ignorant. Because I think you should listen to what other people have to say, and then once you've got all the facts, discount or include on the basis of it. I'm not—I don't listen to what they have to say and say, "Oh, that's wonderfully impressive." I really think this is what a wonderful pitch is. But I also don't think that I should be sat there being told exactly what to think and what to deal with by people like UEFA. And I really don't understand why the FSA would put out such a one-dimensional, ignorant statement uh, based upon what they've previously considered to be the situation, which is lack of meritocracy. Take the meritocracy off the table. I mean, these guys are just... The guys are playing to the gallery, right? They're looking at it and going, like in any decent marketing campaign, when you're building a business, you market something, where does it break? Okay, that's how I fix. So what's broken before? All the fans. I'll give it to them for nothing. That will take the fans out of the way in terms of the streaming costs. Um, the meritocracy. Well, we'll deal with that. What was another thing that's a hot issue? Ah, oh, women's football. We'll put that in there as well. All of these are clever strategic moves to be able to remove the objections one by one by one. And if you get to a point where there's no jeopardy for it in the Premier League, there's meritocracy full stop, there's more revenue being distributed, and it's an enhancement, and you have competition in the marketplace that doesn't allow monopolies like UEFA from FIFA, why would you want a stupid, ignorant statement from the FSA saying, we don't want this horrific monster to be reincarnated again? So we've got a gold league, a star league, and a blue league. Oh. So you, you would see a time coming 
and you wouldn't maybe object to it uh, where you'll hear a conversation out there somewhere a couple of Tottenham fans say I'm looking forward to us we're playing in the Star League this weekend against PSV Eindhoven no I don't I don't I do, do I think that's what, what I've listened to is a wonderful incarnation of something no I think it's the starting of a conversation not the ending of one mm. mm-hmm. the, okay. ending of a, the ending of a conversation previously was we're UEFA we determine when you speak is that what we want then um, one or two people are biting on it uh, Dan is saying yep yeah, um, it sounds better than UEFA's three current efforts uh, I guess that's the point one or two people are saying yeah they've obviously got a plan they've thought it through and it seems to, to but it's interesting tick that, every box it's interesting that when Alex, time. when Alex was talking he talked about teams that potentially have already signed up to it which are the Benelux teams the teams that have a, that come from leagues that are very underfunded mm. and so those leagues will alight upon it but they are part of UEFA competitions aren't they they're playing in Champions Leagues they're playing in Europa Leagues. They're playing. They don't seem to be too enamoured with UEFA. You might uh, not be surprised to hear that Florentino Perez of uh, Real Madrid has jumped on it. From Real Madrid, we welcome with great satisfaction the decision taken by the European Court of Justice. Um, European club football is not and will never be a monopoly again. From today, the clubs will be the owners of their destiny. It's a great day for the history of football and for the history of the sport. It's an interesting day. It's an interesting day. You were with Florentino, weren't you? No, not particularly, because I think his motivations were somewhat different um, and about manufacturing steel in other parts of the world, apart apart and parcel of what his thinking's about. <laughs> but, but, I do think it's a good thing when the system is challenged, and I do think it's a good thing that you push the envelope, but it's also important that you must have capable people in the room to represent the values of those that cannot necessarily have the, quite the same leverage as the big boys. The so, big boys and 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 people from the football league need to be at the table the, well, to take part in the well, discussions. We do they need to be at the table? Of course, English football needs to be yeah. at the table, and of course, there needs to be a quid pro quo. And everyone forgets and doesn't really know that the reasons why football is in such a chaotic state economically in this country is because people that ran football, the FA and the football league, were so useless in 1991 that they've allowed the Premier League to sail off into the sunset and cause the financial harm that it's done to English football outside of the Premier League. Now, one would hope that the lessons of the past have been learnt mm. and the opportunities of the future will be will be taken by professional people that are a little bit more worried about what's going on in the economics of football than rather than what blazer and bleed and tie they're wearing. Well, we'll see where it goes. David and Harlow's not having it. I don't want a Super League. Good. I like football. Don't watch just, it then, Dave. I like football just the way it is. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Liverpool <laughs> last night thrashed West Ham by five goals to one, and they have moved into the Carabao Cup semi finals. Um, what do you make of this, Simon? Afterwards, you would have thought 5 1, Jurgen would be totally happy with what he thought. Well, he was. I mean, obviously, the scoreline told its own story, but not happy when it came to the atmosphere inside Anfield. Well, the first half a little bit when, when the boys played really exceptional I was not overly happy I have to say now with the, with the atmosphere behind me I don't know I don't. I ask people what do we want so we changed a lot of things we dominate West Ham like crazy we missed chances and I, I if I would be in a stand I would be on my toes but 1000% and I don't know if the Man United game was, was that bad that we have to say oh sorry that we, can, that we didn't smash them um we need Enfield on Saturday. Without Enfield, I would say after they didn't play this week, just to make sure I know, sorry, they didn't play. They prepare for this game and who knows a little bit about them, they will be prepared. So we need Enfield on their toes from the first second. Without me get having an argument with the opposition coach, whatever, we need you from the first second. So if you really want, if it's too much football in December, I don't know, sorry, we have to play it as well. but. If you are not in the right shape, give your ticket to somebody else. <laughs> wow. wow. Well, he didn't miss there, did he? I mean, it's a call to arms of that, there is no doubt. But it's because they were ahead in the game for so long and didn't look like it was going to get turned around at any time. Even when it, when Bowen scored, it made it 3-1. They win it 5-1. The fans were there. That's yeah. the main thing. They were there. I mean, they're hardly going to be in their toes throughout, are they? I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, I don't know what he wants to achieve or why he feels that he's entitled to say the fans can support the team in the way that they see fit and his job is to manage the team. And of course you want the best atmospheres and if it's a call to action and he's because he wants to make sure that the fortress that Arsenal walk into is exactly what it should be, then okay, I get it. I, I do think it's, I do think there's this messiah complex about managers sometimes about what they think they're entitled to and who they think they're entitled to get it from Liverpool fans as a whole are, are remarkably supportive of their team yeah you know and, 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 and most of the people that we've ever spoken to that have played for Liverpool including Sunis talk about the, the magnificence of the Anfield crowd so I'm surprised to hear him um, having a little swipe at them. I'm surprised to hear him suggest that if they don't, if they don't, if they don't support the team precisely as he says they should, they should hand their ticket on to someone else. I mean, he wants the atmosphere to be right 
for Arsenal coming uh, on, on yeah, Saturday. And it, it's and, bound to be. That's a totally different and game. And he's right to do that. And he's right to say that because because they, you, the football club is the sum of all its parts. And a significant part of it is the energy that fans provide. We talked about the idea that Everton would provide a bare pit for teams to play in based upon their injustices foisted upon them by the 10-point penalty. And so with this in mind, obviously Klopp feels that a component part of the irresistibility of the opportunity for Liverpool is the crowd being completely... Maybe he should conduct them. <laughs> Maybe he should go out there and determine which part of the audience does this when and that when and that how. See, I mean, it's led to some people having a pop at um, the Anfield myth, um, the Anfield atmosphere, Mick and Macclesfield. Finally, the myth that is the Anfield atmosphere has been exposed. Nah. As a regular away fan, I've been saying it for years, and honest Anfield regulars would confirm it. No, uh, it's a the, great atmosphere. Uh, fabulous atmosphere. There's another one. Ian. Terrible losers, Liverpool fans, but notwithstanding that. Oh, why shouldn't they be? Well, no, because you've got sometimes you've got to lose with a bit of magnanimity and a bit of grace. And the like times, you did. Like, yeah, because I got used to it. Um, but I took teams up there in FA Cups, and some of the, the experiences that we had with some of their directors and some of their fans wasn't the most edifying when our team was winning. I thought, hold on a second, you lot, learn to lose. We all got to lose at times. But let's get it right. The atmosphere inside Anfield is an electric atmosphere. It's a great fan base. It's a great support for that club. And I think anyone that says it's not has got their own agenda for saying it. I found it absolutely electric any time I've been there. There's Ian from Liverpool. There are far too many tourists at Anfield these days. I'm a taxi driver. I see it firsthand. Because I'm driving them around, yeah. Unfortunately, the club doesn't want locals. They want out-of-towners who can and spend big money in the club shop. I'm sure that's not right. I'm sure that if you... I wonder what we talk about when we talk about how many people are going that are tourists when you probably find out there's about 80% occupation as season ticket holders. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Uh, Nottingham Fight fans getting in touch in big numbers. Why? Because Carl Froch, one of your own, is in the studio with Simon and myself uh, uh, this lunchtime and there's Chris from London originally from Nottingham the real headline fights were when the Cobra fought he fought some of the best in the world and came through it Carl you're not short of fans this lunchtime joining us here in studio to look ahead uh, to the boxing bill in Riyadh Saudi Arabia this coming weekend December the 23rd Joshua's on it Wilder's on it they're all on it and uh, so much at stake of that there is no doubt um, Simon I, you heard this a short time ago I'm very keen to get Carl's view on it Anthony Joshua, where's his mind? Where's his, what's his mindset going into this fight against Otto Wallen this weekend? This was his latest interview, if you can call it an interview, with TNT Sport. In the build-up to the fight, when Anthony, when AJ, seemingly was not all that open to opening up. You're quite different to how you were yesterday. You were nice and, you were nice and relaxed yesterday. Uh, today, you seem to have retreated a little bit further into fight mode. Correct. What do you make of Wallin? He's a tough opponent. We see that against Fury. The, the shot I'm expecting to see from you is the shot that you threw against Martin, against the southpaw, the right hand straight down the middle. Is that something you're going to be looking for? 100%. 100%. Definitely. Definitely. It's been a lively week with Jarrell Miller. He seems to be coming after you every chance he gets. What have you made of him? The drug cheat. Is that a fight you'd entertain? No, definitely. At no point, no. Wait, wait. no. Him and Dylan will make a good fight. <laughs> All good? <laughs> and that was that. Now, Carl, I saw you listening to it, what there was of it. Where do you think Joshua's minded? Does that tell us a lot of the focus that he's got? 
Well, that right interview now. was short and sweet and to the point, and it was it was kind of not not engaging. So whether he's in a bad mood or whether he's got some kind of beef with one one of the guys, I know he's friendly with Darren Barker because he's part of the the team of Eddie Hearn, but. I just think he's he's trying to come across very very matter of fact and down to business and you know he called Jerome Miller a drug drug cheat which is fair enough he is so there was nothing kind of wrong with what he said but the manner in which he, he put it across could be uh, could be you know you could think that's very rude and, and not very nice to be doing interviews like that. but this close to a fight sometimes your head's in different places hopefully he's, he's he means business and he's not going to let any distractions get in his head but we won't know until that first bell goes where he is mentally to answer your question we're not going to know until he shapes up and starts throwing that jab and starts putting that right under the back of the jab I saw you, you were enjoying that you I'm like right that with from it. Joshua I'm alright with that I'm alright with that when I saw him in an altercation early on in the week with Gerald Miller Gerald Miller's there to create controversy he's there to be the noise because for Christ's sakes and as I said yesterday in the press conference you were Daniel Dubois was a mute Deontay Wilder's found God and Anthony Joshua was monosyllabic, so we needed Gerald Miller to be a bit, to be a bit, to be a bit uh, vociferous. But I also think that I saw him, uh, Anthony, engaging with Miller in the corridors of hotels, and I said to, to Michael Jarman the other day, "Why is he getting involved with him for? Why don't you just tell him he's a drug cheat and bugger off?" And I'm not suggesting that's why he's done it, but I actually quite like it. And you know, what's he supposed to say? Someone says you fight the southpaw, the straight shot down the middle is the one. Yeah, what does he want to do? Explain his game plan. I'm all right with it. I want him. To, I hope that he carries that menace into the ring. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I, I get, I get that, and um, that's what that's what we're going to find out. Yeah. Is it? I mean, like, when when you look at what Deontay Wilder is saying about Joshua, I've always thought Joshua was mentally weak. Uh, this has not just started. I've always thought that he had a very weak mentality, especially when it comes to fighting me. It's no secret. So is Wilder right about the Joshua mindset? Is Joshua very weak? I don't think he's always been mentally weak. I think it started since the Ruiz sort of beat down. And he, he, he got badly beaten up against Ruiz. And he got dropped a couple of times. Then he was kind of forced to quit in his corner. He could have carried on, but he, he, he got counted out on his feet. And the referee had seen something that maybe everyone else didn't see. But it was kind of... The, the fight could have gone on. Tell the referee, you're good, you're in good shape, you want to fight. Get your hands up by, by the side of your face and say, let's go. And the referee would have said, carry on. Box. But he didn't. AJ was sitting around in the corner looking at his corner feeling sorry for himself just been dropped twice probably shell shocked maybe concussed he'd been down quite heavy mm. since that point he's, he's not had that venomous that aggressive come forward style and that, that finishing ability and um, the two losses to Usyk I mean he's been brave taking on Usyk yeah. Rob McCracken did advise him maybe this fight we don't need to try to give him a way out of that and AJ was like no I want to take him on I fancy it after, the, after seeing him against Derek Chisora which which Usyk might have been very clever just taking his time with Chisora which, I, which I, I think he did, AJ thought, I'll fight him. But I do think since the Ruiz stoppage, the beatdown he got from Ruiz, I do think he's been a bit tentative and a bit mentally fragile. So going into this this weekend, Carl, out of the two of them, Wilder and AJ, who is a more flawed fighter? Um, I think when you say flawed, I mean, Deontay Wilder's more limited. He's, he's not really got that boxing ability because he's just... He's just got one big right hand. He can box and move and he's getting better, but he's just looking to render people unconscious with that big right hand. AJ can box and move, Olympic gold medalist. You know, he, he's, he's had a good career. Look at his resume. He's, he's took on all challenges um, in, in what, what's been quite a limited heavyweight division of this era. You know, we go back to the Mike Tysons and the Hollerfield and the Riddick Bows and that. It's not, it's not that sort of cream, but he's taken on all comers, AJ. You've got to give him his credit. But I'll go back to the Ruiz loss. And since then, that mental fragility, I think, is still there. And he's still got a lot to prove in that boxing ring. And that's why Saturday, for me, is so exciting. 
I think I think Carl's spot on with right why Saturday is so well, every time, appointment to view appointment to listen every time Andrew Joshua steps in the ring it's a challenge for him because the expectation and the observations upon him I don't think he's mentally weak I think he's fragile I think Carl's expression is absolutely right in the same way that Wilder was fragile when he's making every single excuse after Fury handed him his head you know from the weight of his costume to what was in Fury's glove so we can have it both ways, can't we? Absolutely. You know, I, I have the fight I'm always wanting, and I don't know whether we'll see, is Wilder versus Anthony Joshua, because I think that's a shootout. And I think it's a fascinating fight, and you're going to see someone get knocked out. Um, but I think, like Carl, there's a possibility that Anthony will end up going down the IBF route and getting a world title as a result of fighting Philippe Hergovic, who in his own right is a decent fighter, but I don't think he's a great fighter. But I think that um, I think the, there's some fascinating fights, and I think Parker versus Wilder is a fascinating fight because Parker is a decent fighter. You know, obviously we saw him get knocked out by by Joe Joyce, and everyone then went on the journey with Joe, which caught up with him against Silly Zang because he believed that he could then take everyone's punches and off his chin up, and got found out that he couldn't. Yeah. Um, in this instance. You know, you've got Joseph Parker that's a very, very capable heavyweight champion at one point. And the big accusation about him was he didn't let his hands go. He did against he did against um, Joe Joyce. It'll be interesting to see if he can stay out of the way of Deontay Wilder and yet land, there may yet be a challenge for Wilder in that fight. Parker well, might just win every round yeah, until and he then gets get knocked pinged. out. Yeah. And that's, yeah. just, that's how that one might go. Yeah. I see. Okay, well, let's do that one first then. Deontay Wilder against Joseph Parker. Where is that fight, Carl, going to get won and lost? I think if, if Wilder doesn't get his distance and his timing and he doesn't get that range with that right hand and doesn't start to connect, and don't forget you can connect at any stage in that 36 minutes, that 12, three-minute round fight, if he lands at one one point, this, it's going to be game over for Joseph Parker, as it is with everybody he hits on the chin, um, except for Fury, who rose from the dead in, yes. that, in that Yeah, fight. Lazarus. Um, yeah. So, but Parker can make it awkward for him. He's got to keep away from the right hand, probably get close to him. If Parker tries to box on his back foot and keep out his way, Wilder's a tall guy and he's got a range and his power is at range and if you give him momentum the power's even worse so if, if, if Wilder's coming towards you and you're trying to pick him off and outbox him and stay out that way and you're fighting scared um, you're probably going to get knocked out I don't think he has he's not a massive puncher he's got enough power to command a bit of respect but he's not going to really hurt Wilder early doors I think he needs to take it to Wilder take it to him off, off the really? angles and to get on his chest tie him up hit him on the way in try and get him on the way out and just keep out of the way of that right hand. If you close the gap with an opponent and they're smothering the work and they can't tee off with that big right hand, like Wilder swings it, doesn't he? Swings it over the top, swings it around the side, throws it through the middle. If you close that distance, similar to what Tyson Fury did when they when they fought three times, um, especially the second one, I think it was. But Tyson Fury is six foot nine and nearly twenty stone. Parker isn't. Um, so I'm not suggesting he takes him on and tries to lean on him because he's smaller, Parker is. But he needs to close that gap and take away that momentum and distance from Wilder. So you give Parker a, a, a real chance? I give him a chance, yeah, because the inactivity of um, Deontay Wilder, two years he's had one round. I mean, I remember when I retired after a year and I spoke to my coach, Rob McCracken, and I said, what do you reckon about f fighting um, Chavez Jr.? And he was like, oh, you've had, you've had almost a year out of the ring. He says, it's too long. One year out of the ring's too long. You can't come back and do it. I'm like... But a year out, is it really that bad? And it is. So it depends what Wilder's been doing in the gym and who he's been sparring and how he's been living his life. But at 38 years old, is he 38 or 39? 38. He's getting mm. on. Yeah. So this could go wrong. So as a fighter, Carl, turn your attention briefly for us to Joshua uh, against Wallen. Again, the same question. Where is that going to be won and lost? Um, I think if, if AJ tries to box and move and keep out of the way again and tries to just dominate on the outside like he does do, he's safety first now, isn't he? I mean, we're saying about his weak mind, his mental fragility. Let's move away from that. Let's just say he's changed his style and he's trying to be a boxer. He's trying not to get clipped. The, the best way to 
the best plan in boxing, we say plan A and plan B and plan C, whatever. Plan A is always hit your opponent and don't get hit back. That's the best way to win a fight. So AJ goes in there, he tries to hit Otto Wallin and not get hit back. He's going to be getting caught by Wallin because he's got, he's got fast hands. He's, he's quite a capable boxer. He's tidy, he's, he's, he's light on his feet and he moves well and he throws combination punches and he comes into the ring with belief and he comes in there thinking AJ's a bit a bit weak mentally, which he's pointed out, so maybe I'll just stick it on him. And when he comes to hold, I'll shove him off and I might get my head in there and I might hit him low. Whatever rough-ass tactics he might be able to pull off. So if, if Otto Wallin takes it to AJ then AJ's got to do one or two things. Either run scared and try and get behind his jab and lose on points. Meet five or five. Or meet him as he comes. Yeah. Meet him in the middle of the ring. Hit him as he comes. And I think AJ takes him out. But um, it's all, again, we'll go back to where AJ's mind is. What do you think of Wallin? What do you, what do you mean? A lot's made about him. Listen, he's only lost once. Yeah. His, his, his last win was against Gassiev. I know it was a bit of a stinker, people are saying, but he still beat Gassiev. Still it, was, job, yeah. it was a great fighter. Yeah. And he's, what's he on? A, a four-year run since, since Fury? Six fights unbeaten? So he's coming in on, on the crest yeah. of a wave, really confident, yeah. talking well, right. and he's getting AJ at the right time. So this is a this is like a pick jeopardy, and fight, yeah. Yeah. but AJ has got the tools. He's got the toolbox the to job. go in there and do the job and make it easy. It's just whether or not he takes that padlock that's locked the toolbox and opens it up and performs on the night. Because if yeah. he doesn't, he could be banging trouble. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.